0: This episode is a recording of a panel streamed on the Twitch channel of the RPG Academy. Keep an eye on our website if you would like to follow one of them live and contribute to their content via the chat room. Welcome to the very first episode of The Rollist Present. The Rollist Present should be your rendezvous into the tabletop gaming industry, tabletop role-playing gaming industry here in Europe, especially in the UK. And this one is actually a follow-up to a first panel we had as part of Academic Online. We were supposed to discuss tabletop role-playing games between the channel and the pond. And turns out, we were missing the guest I invited to talk about Dungeons & Dragons. Liz, maybe you can introduce you to yourself to our viewers.
1: Yeah, just put me first. Um, I'm Liz Gist. Uh, my pronouns are they, them. I'm a queer creator across d I'm involved in um, the Un- Uncaged anthologies. Um, I'm the art director for the, the Rich anthologies. Um, I'm kind of spread out all across DMs Guild and other places, but mostly DMs Guild. Um, I'm also a mod for the big uh, fifth edition Facebook group and the
0: Uh, a community manager for D&D in the castle. Amazing. Uh, We've got also Daryl joining us because I had to pick two other guests to make a full panel in which we would talk about only Dungeons & Dragons, but loads of different aspects. So I think Daryl got a a very specific and different experience of Dungeons & Dragons here in the UK.
2: Uh, yeah, I think I'm here to represent what it used to be like before it got good. Um, I used to coordinate London and the Southeast for what was the Role Playing Game Association, what would now be called TSR's Organized Play Wing, back in the mid-90s through early 2000s.
0: So which editions were then uh, playing just to give a, an idea of chronology. Uh, I would, it would have
2: been starting with second edition through to the launch of fourth.
0: Cool, cool. And coming to as the new hip thing around the corner, <laughs> critical role critters all over the place, they are giving their energy like a kind of Dragon Ball Z situation to the community. Critters, what are they like, Mitesh? Who are you? What are you doing?
3: Critters, critters are probably some of the most passionate people in d d that I've I've had the pleasure of meeting so far. So I'm one of the community admins for Critical Role UK fan page. I'm also now one of the community moderators for the more global Critical Role fan club on Facebook as well. So yeah, we're we're a passionate group. Um, If you guys have listened to any of uh, Callum's podcast as well. You may have heard that we may have slightly broken MCM last October when the cast came over for that. So, yeah, it's definitely, definitely a growing thing.
0: <laughs> Good. Was- I
1: was there. It was slightly terrifying, but also magical.
0: Oh, it yes. was. Very close, and people really appreciated that the critters were kind enough not to break into a literal <laughs> riot. Just, they just started having one, but then everything went nicely, and people remained polite. Uh, I, I yeah. was
2: at one of the MCMs years ago, for the, just prior to the launch of 4th edition, and we had a preview there for that. And there was about two DMs, and if we had 12 to 14 players in a day, We've done well. <laughs> oh. Oh. well, well w- yeah, things have changed a bit. <laughs>
3: a <little> bit
0: yeah. <laughs> things have changed. And I, I was reading the news this week and I thought it was topical for today because it turns out as one of the icons of British culture is not it's now also a property of Hasbro alongside uh Dungeons and Dragons. I don't know if you heard that Peppa Pig is now <laughs> A pro, a pro, Asbury is a proud owner of Peppa Pig, so maybe we'll have a after Stranger Things a Peppa Pig. dungeon I, and- I
3: want a Peppa Pig campaign guide. If we've got Tales of Equestria, I yeah. exactly. want a Peppa, <laughs> Peppa
0: Pig supplement to come out soon. That would be oh, amazing.
1: Wow.
0: So, the RPG scene—it's sort of all we're gonna have a. A few set of questions. Please, if there's anyone in the chat room, do ask us questions. We're going to have, like last time, kind of a few broad questions. First, we're going to try to cover the the scene, the players. Then we'll see uh, the way things are played and uh, if there are authors of uh, Dungeons and & Dragons. And finally, we'll stop with conventions. So feel free to ask questions ideally within uh, that those three topics. Uh, and let's go with the first topic. The RPG scene in the UK and, uh, and Ireland, by expansion, if you have any, uh, sadly we don't have katobin with us today. Uh, well, the, the thing we said at the last panel, which I was afraid could be slightly controversial, is that our impression um, of my guests and myself was that Dungeon didn't have such an hegemony here in the UK compared to, to the US. As Dungeons & Dragons fans, is that your impression as well? Uh, starting with Liz? I think it's
1: it's growing. There, it's not mainstream yet. You still have to sort of go through the whole rigmarole of explaining what D&D is to your colleagues when you try to explain what you did at the weekend, but I think there is a growing audience and MCM London last year will show that they are hungry for D&D and Crit role in general um, I'm I have kind of I'm well, not falling out, out with them I've just lost all time to actually have lovely in-person games nowadays but I actually a few years ago got my start with D&D through a a meetup group called Dorking D&D that was formed four years ago I think um, and Initially started as just some friends who wanted to have D&D games and thought okay we need more players let's put it on meetup and now there are multiple hundred members and there've been i think something like 50 odd campaigns run across it in the time since it started
0: is it Limited to the UK or is it worldwide? Um, It is
1: specifically set in Dorking as sort of the epicenter of it. Um, But there are games that are run over in Godalming, in Guildford, um, in Epsom. And so, sort of within half an hour of Dorking, you'll find people playing games together Mm -hmm. that didn't know each other until they signed up to this group that they found on Meetup.
0: Amazing. Uh, Daryl, or do you feel you you have a, a you've seen the history of Dungeons and Dragons for a while or do you feel about the place of Dungeons and Dragons today compared to to in the past do you find there's a larger proportion of tabletop role players playing Dungeons and Dragons compared to in the 90s because my experience of the 90s on which i often come back is that in the 90s things were much more balanced uh, there were much more as many players playing, I don't know, RuneQuest on Vampire the masquerade yep. as there were people playing Dungeons & Dragons. No, I, I it doesn't
2: feel I like you, that. I agree with you entirely. Um, it's always been that D&D was part of the scene. Um, you would have your Cthulhu players, who also make up a large proportion. Vampire had its peak, and I think it's on its way down at the moment, but the new edition might change that. Yeah. Um, the new influx off the back of the popularity of Critical Role and similar, I can see it swinging it more to D&D and variants of D&D being a larger proportion, but I haven't seen it do it yet. Maybe I'll just go to the wrong conventions.
0: Yeah, Mitesh, that's one thing. Uh, we were discussing it actually before starting this. And from my experience interviewing Critters at MCM Comic Con, it feels like the D&D community can be quite fragmented today on the internet, on different meetups and different discords, which are not necessarily visible from, from each others. Uh, but it also feels like the, the, the Critters might be playing a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, but for some reason, they they are not visible in con- gaming conventions like WinterCon, Dragon Meat, uh Expo, and this sort of things. Where where do critters play? What what does the scene look like for, for um, side?
3: I mean, I think it. I think it is like like Daryl was saying. I think not only critical role, but you got um, high rollers, which is essentially the UK equivalent. Stranger Things obviously brought a lot of presence to it. But I think kind of from the critical role side, I think a lot of people, a lot of them do play. They kind of meet and kind of have their own little groups. Um, I know Liz mentioned D&D in the castle. um, And I've seen from the page as well, people doing other little meetups. But it tends to be kind of one of those things that a lot of people play, but don't really talk about still. um, Unless they're kind of at the convention scene um and personally i've kind of noticed it with a lot of uh friends as well that when i talk about the dnd uh dungeons and dragons kind of games that i play a lot of them are just kind of they're really interested in playing but they don't they can't see kind of that entry uh entry step into it because it's Mm -hmm. either you play and you're part of one of these major communities that that kind of is really involved or you're kind of playing quietly on the side and you don't really talk too much or talk to people that much or go to conventions. So it's kind of very hit-miss. It's a lot of played on the side and in quiet and stuff like that. But it's growing overall, d d in general, I think. It's just growing
2: more visibility. Hello. Can I, can I just quickly ask, um, sure. what sort of proportion of the Critters fans in your, your experience play the game as opposed to just watch the feeds?
3: Um, there's been there's definitely been a, a more substantial amount that play it, uh, from, from the people that I've spoken to a lot of them used to play it when they were younger, kind of stopped around teenage years when it went kind of quiet. And it's with, um, with the role, with the rise of like D and D shows and stuff that have slowly brought them back into the game. Um, but there's definitely a lot of people, myself included, I'll, I'll be honest to admit. I start, um, as I mentioned before, Critical Role was my entry point into d I'd heard of it before. I'd watched the cartoon in the 90s. Um, <laughs> yeah, which now looking back, I'm just like, oh, that that's, I think, 3.4 the 3.5. Oh God, second, second. Second edition <laughs> with like the classes and stuff that they were going through. So yeah, I've, de- I've definitely met people off the back of that that have suddenly become more interested in playing. And I think one of the great things about the Critter community is when those people are kind of coming through, they're able to talk to other Critters and where they have those interests and stuff coming through they end up talking to people, they're just like, oh, we're playing a game on Roll20 or Fantasy Worlds. Like, why don't you come and join our game for a little bit? Or they'll advertise that they're looking for people in the area or on an online game.
1: It,
2: it gives them a common ground to talk about.
3: Oh, yeah, massively.
1: I can say from personal experience that I had always been interested in D&D. Uh, when I was a kid, I used to play with my dad's old first edition minis. Um like proper proper ones I still have a couple of them and I have no idea where they're supposed to be um I used to play with them I would play with his dice but by that point he'd been Don't have away away room with me. <laughs> he'd been away from it for 10 plus years so he had sort of moved on and then the, the guys that I was friends with in high school didn't really let me into the club with So I would just steal the third edition books and read them forever um, during class. Um, Sorry, teachers. Um, And then it was crit roll that really got me watching it from a way of, yeah, this is something I can do and actually want to do. Whereas my wife had been playing for 20-odd years and then sort of lapsed out of playing tabletop RPGs we got together because her group's just dissolved. So it kind of unified us to go and seek out a group, which was how we found Dawking D&D. And now how we just find so many people online.
0: Mm, online is a wonderful thing. Yeah. Uh, Mitesh, as, um, I mean, the, criti- the Critters, it's kind of an international group, of course, fandom. <laughs> I was wondering, jumping into our second question, have you noticed anything? How to say that? Is there a British way of playing Dungeons and Dragons? Are there, I don't know, quirks and tropes which Britons tend to do more than say their German or American counterpart in in any way or discussion? You you would have noticed.
3: Um, I mean, just just generally from from the people that I've chatted to, and I've I've seen kind of a few games and thankfully been able to join in like on a few of them as one shot. I think I think one of the big things and obvious and this may come from the back that fifth edition has taken a more relaxed approach to D&D that they all seem to be a lot more kind of relaxed when they're playing like they love the character creation element of it but once they actually get into the game it's a lot more um, Relaxing in how they play it. They obviously take it seriously in the sense of like storyline and plot, but they're not, they're not afraid to kind of have a bit of a laugh have for one of, for what I always use as like English banter um, when they're playing through the games as well. So I think, I think that's been one of the kind of big differences that have come through from that. Um, I don't know if Darren and Liz, if you guys have noticed anything thing different as well.
2: Anything about the?
0: I think. Anything about the maybe the feedback on the works of yours, Liz, uh, like in Cage uh, from (laughs) Britain, compared to uh, Um, to from other countries.
1: So I think, um, as actually an American speaking, well, who's lived in the UK for eleven years now, um, I think that the British politeness comes across in games. (laughs) Everyone will sit there and take their turn in combat and then go quiet while everyone else does their own thing. <laughs> um, it might just be the groups that I, I'm in. Um, and I think there are there are certain comfort levels that I think it's less because of Britishness and more because it's still becoming a big thing in the UK that People are still kind of relaxing in terms of oh I can make a complete hit of myself it's fine um, and being able to actually let go and like emotionally sink into a game for example.
2: Um, I must admit, I over the years at convention games, if you had going back years now uh, an American at your table, uh, <laughs> they would be the one who was playing over the top they would be in voice they would be almost an amateur dramatic masterpiece sitting next to you while the brits would be sitting there going (laughs) (laughs)
1: um thankfully things are improving Um, I, i can vouch for that i'm usually the one putting on a silly voice (laughs)
3: i I, I will kind of like chime in on that point like when i mentioned earlier about kind of those entry-level barriers um and i don't want to use the term because i've heard it online with regards to critical role and i don't think it's a fair term i think pro pro dm i think was the alternative that i that i heard with regards to like seeing people seeing these streams and stuff and kind of the qualities as liz was saying putting on the voices having the minis having the terrains and stuff i think that can sometimes be one of those things that like especially over here people are starting to realize oh you really don't need all of yeah. that stuff actually Math- it is just pen and paper
2: matthew mercer himself i've seen him online turn around saying we are professionals we have money thrown at this Yeah, we this is not what you need to do at home, which is a great thing for him to be saying because people are looking up to him and his style a lot, but it's oh, it's not needed. And I'm trying to think of how I can word something while staying in the safe for work category. (laughs) Um, the online critical roles and it's similar. Is to role playing what various other entertainment media are to human activities.
0: <laughs> Let's say football, <laughs> you know, or soccer for American. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can watch, people can watch professional football, and uh, if they start playing football or soccer, uh, as you say, uh, on the, the wrong side of the pond,
3: uh, <laughs> say it's you, football. You, you don't have.
0: <laughs> I mean it's funny because I've read this argument repeatedly on Facebook, etc., and I it rarely came up from people who had the experience with players. It's it's kind of an academic it's argument. It's a straw
1: man argument that I keep seeing, and it's one that I don't actually really agree with. Because no, you don't need the set and are never are unlikely to ever have things like the set or thousands of pounds to spend on Dwarven Forge. But at the same time, even though they are professional actors, that doesn't mean that a table of completely uh, random people who are close friends can't reach that same level of intensity and depth that Critical Role achieves.
2: Mm, I agree entirely.
0: So. Daryl, uh you, you mentioned a bit what it felt like having an American visitor back in the days. Um <laughs> uh, yeah, what, have you noticed it's gonna be my running question for you because I find you called That's that why before I'm here. I'm you mention all... you said it was before it was good. I disagree because I find you laid out the foundation, you are the the legacy players and <laughs> Uh, yeah, as, as the style of uh, you were saying that the style of British players are, are, has changed, maybe influenced by Critical Role and other things. The the players are acting more; they're becoming more thespian in their ways uh, of playing
2: than used to. I'm seeing more people doing it, whether it is Critical Role directly, and it's I'll use Critical Role as a shortcut to for all of its ilk. Um, my gut reaction. I, from going to conventions from sort of 1990 onwards and watching the average age of an attendee slowly march up and up and up until about five years ago when it started coming back down. And I think it's the influx of the younger players. I think that's what's doing it.
0: Or do you find the encounter going on between those different generations of players? Because there's been quite a dramatic change uh, in the way you're introduced to the ob Myself, I did not start with Dungeons & Dragons. I started with Star Wars, a role-playing game from West End Games. And I literally spent years reading the book without knowing what it was like. There was nothing to introduce me. There was no internet. Can you imagine that, uh, dear viewers? VHS tape, this sort of things. And, and now we've got players who are a massive influx of younger players. We've got a lot of material to, to train them. But what, what have you noticed? What is it? It is like when you have this wave of young players encountering the, the old guard, the old uh, friendly grognards out there.
2: Ooh, I'm going to get in trouble for this. Um, (laughs) I think uh, there can still be a lot of kickback. Um, If you get the players who are now like myself, their children are involved, um, they probably find it easier to interact with other young players around the table than somebody who has gone through life and hasn't got kids. So I think that is uh, an important part of it.
0: Liz, uh, I, I think the content in something like Uncage extremely interesting. Did you have uh, any feedback from people from different generations, especially from, uh, from the UK?
1: Um, so I wouldn't... S- I mean... We had people from multiple generations involved in the project itself and one of the writers for volume three that's coming out shortly is um, actually has been running D&D and, in fact, is one of the runners for DragonCon this weekend um, over in Georgia and has been running those things for 30-odd years. Um, I think, thankfully, we didn't get a huge amount of pushback when it came to Uncaged, which for those who don't know, it was basically taking very classically feminine um, coded monsters from the monster manual and mythology in general and giving them a feminist slant, um, sort of updating them so that they were more interesting than just here is a villain, let's go kill her. And... Um, the only real pushback that we got was that there were too many lesbians um, <laughs> which was one special reviewer that we all loved just a little bit um, <laughs> for being very second pass um, I think that generally though it's not just younger players that are coming into D&D nowadays and tabletop in general it's a more diverse section, sect of people. Um, there's a lot more space for people to come in and fully explore who they are. Um, it was within the D and D community that I was first out as a gender, for example. And it's something that if I joined it when I was first interested in it, stealing those third edition books, I probably wouldn't have. It wouldn't. I know that it wouldn't have been the same.
0: Mitesh, uh, we we're talking a bit about critical role, like if it was this horde of uh, uh, teenagers who play Dungeons and Dragons in between two g- sessions of Overwatch. But yeah. uh, I do know there's a lot of uh, critters who are from a broad, different ages. Uh, so what are the different generations? Uh, in what are the interactions uh, like uh, among critters, especially I mean, Britons?
3: Yeah, I mean overall, I think. Again, I feel like I'm still able to kind of see the nicer, the nicer parts and fully understanding. And some stuff did come out, kind of. Um, it was earlier this month or, or late last month, where unfortunately a few people did come onto Twitter and start talking about kind of the fact that fan art and stuff that they'd been doing was was being hit negatively, as as Liz said, because especially with Critical Role where fans were doing fan arts and shipping two of the male characters or two of the female characters and getting kind of the backlash from that kind of generationally. I think there's just an overall appreciation of people that are getting into the game. Um, I think a big, I think a big part of it is where you have, where you may have had some of those fans that have come back that enjoy the show, but enjoyed more of the, um, Uh, what's the word I'm trying to think of? More of the kind of number crunch and the more serious aspect of it have kind of tended to lean more towards something like Pathfinder um, or some of the other games. So I think generally that kind of split has happened. So everything is kind of kept fairly harmonious for the for the moment at least i i mean there's probably little things that happen especially probably more in america where things are taken a lot more seriously but definitely from from the kind of uk side of the moment it's there's stuff bubbling but overall kind of everyone's more of accepting of oh hey we are we're playing this kind of dnd if you guys are interested in playing that that's kind of the angle we're going down or i mean personally as myself as a dm whenever i try and run a game it's more of a we're going for a really relaxed approach. If I don't think something in the rules is working or fits with the way I'm playing, I'm not gonna follow it or I'm gonna bend it and tweak it to make it work for what I want to do. So I think there's been there's been that kind of like nice split when it comes to kind of types of playing for the games.
2: Just glad people have the maturity to do that at a the table these days.
3: Yeah yeah definitely and i think i think fifth edition has been has been a big help in that in like especially with the, with the dm's guide and with the um starter kit the essential kit that's coming out as well kind of one of the first things that it says in there is just like if in doubt make it up it's kind of there. there's more of a push on kind of the role play and enjoying it rather than you have to be following these rules or this type of game um which i think Kind of on the where things may start bubbling is um, as Liz kind of touched on with stuff like kind of sexism, maybe gender stereotypes, when, when more serious topics like that start entering the game, I think that's where kind of more serious discussions start kind of cropping up as a result.
1: One thing that I would frankly love to see more of in the UK that I think players in the, U- the US especially have really started to embrace in recent years is session zero and not just a as a let's build our characters together, but as a, a clean slate, let's talk about what kind of game we want to play, what topics we want to stay away from, what sort of things we are okay with versus not okay with, and actually basically forming a, a social contract. And it's something that I see a lot amongst a certain parts of the, um, the community, but it's still something that's really definitely not quite taken off in the UK yet.
0: Have you experimented with the, those sort of things, uh, uh, Daryl? Uh, safety Two, Session Zero, the X Card. I know uh, I don't always follow as much uh, the, the British RPG scene, but I know in France, for instance, uh, the X Card. It's been very controversial.
2: It's incredibly controversial here as well in, I think, virtually every game system, not just the d &D fan sides, but you'll get a lot of people shouting, why on earth do we need that? Being shouted back by other people shouting, of course we need that. And neither side converts the other side because 75, 80% of it is shouting um session zero i unfortunately at the moment um okay unfortunately might not be the right time term uh i have two groups of players one at home and one at the club and i have known everybody in both groups for multiple years so it's less a case of having to sit down and set the the limits set the tone more a case of we know each other and that's a positive thing because i know my players and i know what i can do and it's a negative thing because i'd like to meet more players
1: (laughs) they can also be really useful in terms of just it gives someone a platform to step up and say actually i'd like to try this thing for this time and even if it's someone that you've known for years they might not have either had that thought before or they might have they might just be at a point in their life where they're suddenly starting to want to explore something else and it can even for people that I've known for years I'll still sit down and have a session zero at the beginning of a campaign because it just gives everyone that platform to discuss and especially to like connect things together one thing that is kind of slowly building amongst D&D that I do blame Crit Roll for is interconnection with characters, which is awesome.
2: In as much as uh, background stories cetera, yeah. are all pre-interwoven.
1: Yeah, it means that you don't end up with starting a campaign with... Six strangers yeah six strangers or six people who are just awkward loners who don't really want to get along with each other
3: Hmm. yeah i've I've always found that the hardest part in the the games i've kind of dm'd that when the when the players kind of want to start off quite separately that generally then as a dm becomes the hardest part of trying to then all right you guys are all loners and nomads and stuff (laughs) okay, here's a thing for you guys to start off and they may finish yeah. that first. Start, get to the end and just like, well, why are we all still hanging around with each other? <laughs> we have like no common ground. It's like, right, this is, this is going to be interesting then.
1: Yeah.
2: As you say, session zero, let them know, look, you are going to need to be able to get on, even if it's because you've got no choice, the world depends on it, or you could be siblings, you could be lovers, you could be... I don't know, mass, uh, life debt, anything. But it, it, it's conversation. It's it's maturity amongst gamers.
0: Mm. It, it's difficult. That's something I encounter with people I'm used to playing, new people I play with. Uh, to be honest, at this point, I tend to favor, might be controversial, but pre-generated characters, both mm-hmm. as a game master and a... Uh, and a player, uh, I personally don't mind it, and there's still room for my own personality to to go through. But this way, I know we are interwoven as a group, and we can jump into the adventure. So there's more, there's more connection. I'm I'm terrible with session zero. That's something I really need to improve, both as a player and a game master. And uh, nothing yeah. wrong with pre-generated
2: characters if you're introducing a new system. <laughs>
0: Yeah, we'll or new campaign, and if it's—I uh, mean, yeah—that's that's another just, subject. But just I'm just kill launching. them quick and let them divide their own. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, moving on to the next subject, which is about uh, stuff D and D related, but produced here in the UK. Uh, Liz, that sounds like right down <coughs> your your alley, is not it? Who are the the authors, the writers, the products? which were created in all beautiful lands uh, that you would recommend to check?
1: Uh, many. Um, so Great. I'm actually, <laughs> um, I'm part of a group that um, it's made up of myself, my wife, Kat Evans, um, Oliver Clegg, who is the Raven Loft master and complete utter Madman on DMs Guild and um, a couple of Americans, uh, Jess Macram and, sorry, Alicia is um, is Canadian. I did not mean to make that slight, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, but we ended up just, we started out um, with Kat and I on Ollie's Utterly Madcap, Um, Ravenloft, Stream, Many Dreadfuls, in which it was entirely uh, British for all of us. And um, from that, we made a book of hags. Um, What went out last week, I believe, uh, was uh, that Kat and Ollie and Jess uh, contributed it to, and I edited, is is Berthazar's House of Familiars. Um, which is wonderfully bizarre. Um, There's, so Kat Evans and Ollie Clegg are definitely the people that I would recommend, especially if you want anything creepy and bizarre for your D&D campaign. Um, But generally there is a building community of creators in the UK that's quite exciting. Um, I know that there is a European Monsters book, in the works. I'm not sure when it's coming out. Um, And apart from that, tying back to actually um, you can't have the average person is unlikely to have the whole critical role, whistles and knobs and such. Um, One benefit of living very near Europe is that because Dwarven Forge is so expensive, especially to import, um, European companies and British companies specifically have started exploring alternatives. So there is Crippled God in Greece that does really cheap, fantastic um, battle t- uh, map tiles. And there's uh, Loki Battle Maps that is just a flip book of. I think 20 odd maps that you can dry race on and it's different locations. And we got those first before the U S and it's a much cheaper alternative that still looks really cool.
0: We, we don't um, all have the big garage and the big <laughs> suburban house that we see in a uh, uh, spirit office wise, et cetera, to, <laughs> to <store laughs> forges, especially here in London. Um, uh, Daryl, are there uh, big contributors to uh, past editions or present editions of Dungeons of Dragons that you, you, you have met or know of? There's always unsung heroes, I find, of Dungeons & Dragons when you start digging in the history well, of... You start, you start digging. I mean, you, you go
2: right back to the basics when the Fiend Folio was British. Um, oh, yeah. So the entirety of the book with the exception, I believe, of the drow, drow elves, which Gax put in himself, was submissions to White Dwarf. So, yeah, there's been the British input for an awfully long time. Although beyond that, I have to admit, I genuinely don't look at the nationality of the author when I get a product. If I look at a product I read the reviews of the product and I like the product, I don't care where in the world they're from.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's often, th- that's often the feedback I get because I do that with a number of nationalities as part of the podcast as well. And I found out that, yeah, people don't wonder about that, which on one hand is very nice. And on the other, I don't find it so great because often the assumption of most people is that, oh, they the American's author. Uh, yeah.
2: Okay. I- yeah. I, th- I think there probably is a, a, a default assumption that it was written by an American. But you, everything these days is done over the net. Even the artwork is done over the net. And just because the book is coming out of, well, let's be honest, Northwest United States of America, um, the contributors could be absolutely anywhere.
0: Well, yeah, speaking I'm... of which, with Mitesh, we've got a <laughs> big artist of critical role here in the UK, here in London, there I say.
3: Yes, Um, yeah, Kid Boss.
0: She broke broke MCM Comic Con. She became a health and safety um, issue. (laughs) Yeah,
3: I mean, when you start hearing stories that an artist in Artist Gallery has a longer queue than Frank Miller, um, it definitely starts getting people's attention. Uh, And from speaking to the volunteers that then had to kind of start Working out a queue system for her, they were all extremely confused as to how somebody just just sitting at a random table that they themselves had to had to I think pay for to to get that space suddenly had this like massive audience to to go to to kind of work on that and she's it's definitely got her notice a bit more which I'm super happy about like it's a fantastic person to speak to she uh, she genuinely still has such a love for D D and the crick crit roll community and all all the critters and stuff um i think she's at a convention this weekend actually um signing more stuff so yeah she she obviously has that um Gr- uh, grant honey heist um which isn't dnd but is kind of in in a similar yeah is in a similar vein like he's british as well but kind of along the same lines as what daryl was saying and I, I was actually gonna ask this this as well is like the biggest resource that I tend to see if I'm looking for custom campaigns and stuff is DMs Guild. But normally when I hit that point, I'm not kind of looking at where, where the campaigns or, or stuff are coming from. It's just kind of more of the content itself. So yeah, that's, that's one of the biggest things I've noticed is not so much where where it's been published from. I suppose, yeah, in that in that kind of slight ignorance, I do generally assume it's probably somebody in America that has made this up as opposed to somebody in Britain or France or Japan even, for example. <laughs> so yeah.
2: Yeah, they were right, Cthulhu. <laughs> <laughs>
3: I do have to admit I was in I was in Japan in uh, in April and I did end up picking up a dice set there because I'm a little bit of a dice order and it was a set of, it was a set of Cthulhu dice because that was just primarily the sets that they had there. So
0: if you haven't heard, uh, I recommend everyone to check our academic online panel. We had uh, Dr. Lynn Hardy who works on the Call of Cthulhu line uh, here uh, for Chaosium. And she was explaining that not only uh, Japan is the largest market for Call of Tulu, uh, Call of Tulu is also the biggest game there. And their main demographics are uh, young to middle-aged Japanese women. Mm. I, I listened to that and it blew my amazing. mind. Yeah. It's amazing. Uh, but um, uh, what was I about to say? Yeah, yeah. There's a number of... Maybe it's a bit more noticeable. There's a number of publishers here in the UK, uh, Cubicle 7, Modifuse, uh independent publishers who are now joining the fray of publishing fifth edition <laughs> material. Are there products? <laughs> I think we share, the same, we share the same opinion on that. But <laughs> are there... Uh, uh locally produced uh, fifth edition products which caught your eye uh, any of you no I know Daryl it feels like the late to the early 2000s again doesn't it like legend of the five rings d20 yeah um, it
2: 20. doesn't need to be if you've got a game and it's got its own system it's probably the best system for it slapping fifth edition on it you're doing it to sell units and Nah.
1: <laughs> I was privy to a Twitter conversation last week. I think last week that was somebody telling the creator of Swordsfall that they are damaging themselves and gatekeeping by not offering a fifth edition version of their game. Really? That's yeah. just so <laughs> and wrong. Just like, Why?
0: well let's remain positive yeah there's still i mean the because of course as a publisher i'm not a publisher myself but let's say i'm role-playing myself as a publisher i can understand that the publisher might want for commercial reason to do a fifth edition Yes. yes but also interviewing publisher i know that there's a genuine passion for the game, including Dungeons & Dragons. So a lot of those publishers are not just greedily doing their products for, for money, but they, they they still have a passion for Dungeons & Dragons itself, and it's a great opportunity for them to be able to contribute to it in some form. So I was wondering, any of you has tried the Adventures in Middle-Earth, for instance, by Cubicle 7, which is a port of their One Ring uh, rule set and if uh, I'm going to talk a bit more about it, since you don't seem to be uh, customers, the so the idea is that if you're playing 5th edition Dungeons and Dragons, Adventure Middle Earth, well, first of all, you could play Tolkien uh, with the 5th edition rules, but also you could enhance your own 5th edition campaign with more rules regarding travel and giving it a slightly different uh, mood uh, than you would have with the let's call it the vanilla. Rules of Dungeons and Dragons. I, I,
3: I think. Well, I I have seen I I have seen those ones. I've been i tem- I've wanted to play. I haven't managed to kind of get round to um, to kind of playing it myself. Because because again, a lot of those things then, I think in part become kind of an investment in then having to to buy the books and stuff and the books under and like publishing costs and everything coming into it, the books aren't cheap uh, in the nicest possible sense. I think one of the things that I've really liked, um, having seen that as well, seeing a lot more of kind of taking the, the kind of base step of dungeons and dragons and then, building that onto to other different universes i know we spoke about it just before we went live so obviously a big one that they came out that started catching people's attention was stuff like tales of equestria set in my little pony um the witcher series uh now has kind of a tabletop role-playing game bethesda have just through mobius done an elder scrolls and a fallout one for me i really like the idea that they're taking these known universes and kind of then building a, a Dungeons and Dragons framework, for want of a better word, uh, term, into it. I think that's been working out really, really well. Um, but yeah, I, I personally, I don't think that if you want something like that to sell, it should be kind of off that brand and not having to work 5e, like smack bang really big on, on the cover to try and be like, oh, okay, this can work for that then.
0: Yep. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> strong opinions here this, is what was, <laughs> this this one was sort of a dead end um, yeah I don't know uh, oh yeah actually Mitesh uh, we're talking about products as direct role-playing products but you mentioned high rollers what about equ- what equivalents or I mean other podcasts, actual play uh, which are based here in the UK Is does, can, what can you tell us about high rollers and is it does it have a, something a little British compared to critical role?
3: Um, yeah, it it definitely has more. You can you people can are tell, more polite.
0: They enact less. Yeah,
3: they they're definitely more polite. It does. Um, after Liz kind of mentioned that, kind of thinking it through as well, because I have seen kind of some streams on Twitch where people are doing it, and it and it is actually very much that I think I was just kind of naive and realizing that that kind of difference is people are generally more more polite. I mean, there's not so much talking over each other. It's just kind of when you have your moment, then yeah, they'll they'll dive in and, and very much kind of go for it. Um, but when it's it's not their kind of time, they'll kind of be quiet and let kind of really let the dungeon master kind of lead and kind of overarch that kind of storytelling and, and narratives narrative way of doing it. Um, but again when it comes to I think one one of the slight downsides of both Critical Role and High Rollers is because they've become so big, I think other kind of D&D podcasts or shows that may be coming out may then start going under, under the radar as well. I mean, I know the Adventure Zone is there and and it does have quite a big fan base, but from everything I've heard, like it's still not reaching those kinds of levels as kind of Crit Role or High Rollers.
1: It was for its first run, but I think... It's fo- kind of dipping back into the last topic, when they shifted away from D D for their second season, the attention slipped away from the aud- the mass audience. But there was a while where they were constantly in the top ten of um the podcasts on iPlayer, for example not iPlayer. Um the Apple store, for example. But yeah, it's- yeah, it's kind of slipped away now.
0: It's interesting you say that uh, shows are well, as a podcaster myself, uh, you, that shows are in the shadow of critical role and all the big or high roles or the big D and d shows because doing a d and d show, uh, just like publishers might be interested to do a fifth edition, is still way more popular than doing anything else, even yeah. though the offer is really uh, large. Uh, that's still where the demand is, and if you're doing an actual play show, if you do D and D, you will meet if the quality is there, you will meet success much faster than uh, something else, which is a bit sad in my opinion. And if you do a discussion show, you'll have even less people. If if you have if you are not D and D. What I'm saying is that I don't have enough listeners. At the- <laughs> I don't do that often. Episode about Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah, Please come and, check me out, uh, regardless.
3: And I and I think we we may touch on this a little bit more when we get onto the convention side of things. I think that's where maybe having more kind of tabletop role playing D and D based either sections or or events themselves may really help get the kind of presence and stuff. Cause I mean, I, I managed to meet you at the Steam Phoenix event um, last month, but I, like being perfectly honest, like before that, I hadn't heard that much, but kind of coming off the back of that, like speaking to you, listening to a few of the podcasts, I was just like, that's really interesting. A, a similar, um, similar kind of podcast is the uh, wicked RPG podcast where they take kind of pop culture characters and they'll convert them into D D what they'd be in kind of D and D fifth edition, like from speaking to you guys and them about that, it was just like, okay, there's some really interesting podcasts out there. It's just not always being able to hear about them because everybody's just more like, oh, you're not really playing when you're when you're streaming. Okay, maybe I'll check that out then. Which maybe a <laughs> slightly gonna, negative view, but
0: I'm gonna plug one which just is starting hosting this panel. Thank you very much, Encounter Roleplay, which is a key cast. Channel, if you're looking for streams of not only Dungeons and Dragons but a number of games, including Judge Dread, for instance, and they're kicking off a brand new season here in September. Uh, but we got um, uh, Howie Roll, who specializes in Call of Cthulhu but does also have a campaign in Curse of Strad. We got the Scraticus Academy on Twitch also, which got uh, amazing content. What's interesting with those streamers is that they follow the time zone also of the US, despite being here in the so. Scraticus from the Scraticus Academy I met at the Statin Phoenix event uh, was extremely tired because he was like, this. I'm just following for the first time a GMT timeline because he, he wakes up like if it was in the US despite living here in the, in the countryside. Uh, Daryl, have you ever tried any of those stream podcasts, uh, Tabletop RPGs Entertainment?
2: I'll be honest. I really... What gets me is that the length of time of each episode. I don't have. I, I have two and a half hours to sit down to watch this. No, there are uh, quite a few children outside that door and uh, a house attached to it. So <laughs> it, it's all. Sort of, I, I can portion bits here and there, but I can't guarantee the time to watch it regularly.
0: So yeah, I, it I, just
2: it slips water.
0: past My own is much shorter, just one hour long per episode.
2: Okay. <laughs> send, send me a link
0: um,
3: I th- I, th- I think with the with the d shows in particular and I found that I had this is, as I say kind of critical role was my starting point then I heard about High Rollers so I started trying to listen to those guys as well and i try and keep up with the odd episode as well and then when I heard about Adventure Zone I started listening to that through the podcast and I found that yeah, the length of episodes you're talking three, four, five hours an episode and then trying to keep trying to remember which characters and which storylines are happening in each it just kind of it almost burnt me out to a point of just like there's there's too many stories too many things going on I, I can't keep track of everything in my head I'm gonna have to limit myself down to one or two mm-hmm.
2: at most es- especially if you're prepping and running your own games as well
1: that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. that's <laughs> time
2: away from them but not if you steal the ideas oh, okay prepared. yeah yeah borrow borrow please borrow.
1: I can't do that because usually, if I'm writing something, it's for publishment.
0: <laughs> oh, that's more of a problem. Let's not go into the subject of uh, copywriting and putting things on the internet for <clears throat> a fee at the moment. Oh, God, don't, <laughs> don't go there. That's a horrible situation. Let's go to a convention instead together. Good <laughs> idea. Convention, which one are especially good if you're a DD fan? I had Mitesh. Mitesh before uh, mentioning how he was struggling to find a place where to play games. And I got a feeling that Daryl here knows where uh, a critter <laughs> could go to play games rather than have stuff signed or taken oh, with grief. parish array. Who cares for that? What do you want to I, play, I right?
2: know a few. I mean, I've, I've had to drop out of a lot of the convention scene because it's just... I've, my wife and I have got four kids. They all... <laughs> They all role play six people going to a convention is not cheap, but that said dragon meat is there's going to be D and D there. There's no two ways about it. There's going to be pathfinder. There's going to be D and D there's going to, be, I can almost guarantee if you're really into it, you will find old editions of both games. And then you've got the rest of the gaming market as well. Um, I will, personally plug Conting- contingency over in Norfolk, um, the organisers of that are putting in a lot of effort once again. And they had a new venue last year, and they still ran a, a sup- superb week-long convention. And there is Pathfinder, there is D&D, and, and there is every, any other game you want, it'll be there. So those would be my two big names. I'd love to see more gaming at expo. I'd love to see the gaming expo being more visible. But the problem
1: with shunted off to a different building.
2: Yeah, but I can understand why they've done that, because the last thing you want when you've got six people sitting around a table concentrating on their GM, keeper, DM, whatever you want to call them, is 20 people standing by the side of you shouting.
0: Yeah, for people who don't know because we were discussing that a bit earlier. So the, the biggest expo, uh, well, expo, yeah, um, convention here in the UK and it's I think it's each year it matches or it goes above the number of people attending Origins. and Oh, it beat Origins again
2: up. this year. It's, it's third now by so, uh, individual people.
0: Okay, so UK Games Expo is a big one here in Birmingham. If you're attending for the first time and what you're looking for is playing role-playing games. If you want to meet Designers, you'll find a few some of them in the expo itself in the trade halls. But if you want to play games, where you want to go is the Hilton Hotel, which is across the park. And there, there's loads of rooms, loads of tables to join. Uh, you can book them some on the day, I think, but most of them are pre-booked online. But uh, yeah, that's all a little bit of intel. If you go to Expo UK Games Expo, you need to, to go to the Hilton Hotel to.
2: So play. I've had. Games on demand for the last two or three years where they'll have a system where you can turn up with a group of people and say, can somebody run us a game of whatever for the next three hours? And they will do their damnedest to find you somebody who can do it for you.
0: There was great initiative led, I believe, by Lloyd Gann from, uh, who, who's a uh, uh, regular visitors of U.S. conventions. But I don't think he's been to Acadecon yet in Dayton on November eighth of ten. So Tom and uh, Michael, you should uh, chase uh, Lloyd at Modifius. So he attended. A very nice fella. Uh, Liz, do you have any favorite convention yourself? Um,
1: unfortunately, I've not had a lot of success with uk conventions um i went to games expo and it was intense and i spent about 300 more pounds than i meant to (laughs) and i don't entirely remember what i bought (laughs) um uh in terms of conventions in general i'm a massive fan of game hall con in wisconsin uh where it's a fairly small um Attendance and the uh, creators are already accessible. Um, And then obviously D&D in a Castle is held in the UK um, while being run by Canadians out of California. And mostly attended by Americans.
2: I <laughs> I did see an article. I think it may even have been in the Guardian's gaming section of all places about D D in a castle, and they oh were gosh. saying that was seventy to eighty percent Americans
0: coming over for the event. Yeah, yeah. We used there's a
1: lot of Americans.
0: Us European, we just used to castle there's nothing you know, <laughs> <playing> <laughs> D&D the castle, are, yeah I played d and in a castle I
1: think some of it is also that the, uh, the DMs that they have um, the sort of pro DMs I guess you could call them um, tend to be American ones uh, so there was Nerdarchy um, we had Jeremy Crawford uh, Satine Phoenix those sort of people um, and so it's the American audiences that are most familiar with them
0: it's a very high-end they- product. It's not exactly a convention. It's more... It's
1: not. It's, it's an it's experience. More a, it's more a cruise. Yes,
0: yes that exactly. That
1: you stay in one place in.
3: That, that's where they're missing the market. Just just like a big cruise that goes from like the UK to America. And it's just how long <laughs> the time will take. It's just I do games this, the entire time.
1: The Joker cruise of D&D.
2: Yeah. There, there are <laughs> sci-fi conventions
0: that do that. Star Trek (laughs) once. Yeah. Yeah. My last employer, actually, I designed a a cruise terminal uh, arrival. So I made a a little bit of research. The universe of cruises is fascinating. (laughs) A bit scary (laughs) because, I mean, I'm a big fan of uh, different things, but uh, the idea of being sort of stuck on a ship for a long period of time with people obsessed by uh, that same single thing as I do uh, it feels a bit slightly dangerous to me I
2: don't know I I, I mentioned contingency and that books out a caravan site in Norfolk for seven days and it is during the closed season so everybody on the site is either staff (laughs) or a gamer for a week and we get on fine
0: yeah (laughs) 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 <laughs> well, yeah, a boat still. But Daryl, you were mentioning something else because all these conventions are missing something in common. I find I already uh, told that to the staff of Wizard of the Coast. Wizard of the Coast doesn't have a booth of at any of those conventions. I know it. It,
2: it really, really threw me when that started to change. Um, the Wizard's Castle from GenCon U.S. I mean, I, I made GenCon U.S. a grand total of once. And it was still an incredible thing to see. And I believe it's still done. But they used to run GenCon themselves over here. And then when it went separate and Peter Ackerson bought it out, they would still be there. But now they may as well not exist. I mean, I know at one point they were two desks in a corner of a Hasbro office. Because the Hasbro office was, in fact, I believe still is, in Stockley Park in Hillingdon.
0: Yes, yeah. indeed.
2: And they did have a couple of people who were dedicated Wizards of the Coast staff, but that was 10 years ago. And I don't even know if they do that anymore.
3: I, I think it, sorry, I was just going to say, I think. I think it is growing now, kind of going back to, like, one of the original points we made right at the start is I think, I think that awareness of Dungeons and Dragons slowly kind of growing is now starting to kind of hit their radars and stuff. Um, Yeah. I mean, I was, I, I again was fortunate when I, when I spoke to to Callum, when I spoke to Satine, um, the event last month, Wizards of the Coast were actually, I think one of the sponsors um, I think is what they said. So I managed to speak to uh, Dan, who's one of their branding managers. And one of the big things that he actually mentioned was they want a much bigger uh, D&D and Wizards of, Wizards of the Coast focus in the UK. They feel it's one of the things that has really been missed and kind of like underrepresented over the past few
2: years. So They used to have it. They let it die down. Yeah. I think for financial reasons because of the back end of various edition changes it the play uh numbers dropped and the enthusiasm shall we say dropped but if they want to be back in on it yeah but they're probably running about three or four years behind the curve
0: well uh as Mitesh was mentioning, I, uh, we we met with Dan from uh, the Asbro slash Wizards of the Coast team here, and they're, they're definitely keen to do more. And I know that their team attended uh, Expo this year, and they met with the uh, Epic D game, which is run there. But uh, yeah, they didn't have a booth, so uh, the the ambition is there, and they're, they're keen to do more. Indeed, they were. We were an official. Wizard of the Coast event so I organized the event for Satin with the help of Batmoon Moon Cafe uh, the D&D Euro Tour so this was uh, officially a Wizard of the Coast event and we trying to get more happen uh, but uh, yeah it's uh, it's a process it takes time and it's it's not as easy as uh, one might think uh, to, oh, to get I... that uh, <laughs> on the rails but uh, yeah the, there's good people there who are, who are keen and we hope to do to do things, my son is arriving, but uh, so. Uh, yeah, so, sorry, uh, I am hanging the, the phone just in front of you, Dara, for this. But I find it very interesting. Most people don't know there used to be a Gen Con UK, mm, so yes. where was that? What what was it like?
2: Uh, first one was 1990, it booked out Butlin's Canberra Sands. Uh, it was sub-zero temperatures outside and all the electrics, including the heating in the lodges, ran off of 50p metres that you had to bring a wadger 50 pence pieces with you or you froze. But we loved it. It was there for about six years, um, getting bigger each time. It then relocated to Loughborough University, um, where it stayed for about five or six years. Again, still getting bigger. I think the biggest one they ever did was one of the last three years. Uh, it went to Manchester University for a year, uh, moved down to Olympia for three when uh peter Atkinson took it over as Gen Con llc rather than the subsidiary of uh, wizards
0: itself so olympia um, for the non british people sorry, yes. is here in london it's uh it used to be at least one of the biggest uh before they opened new ones in uh, uh which called the excel now yeah
2: and then it finished off at reading university for 3 years with the last one being in I've got to judge this by the age of my children, probably about 2006. So it, it ran for about 15, 16 years um, with uh, times. I think it broke a thousand people at one point. No, oh, wow. But it was, yeah, it, it just, it apparently, because uh, somebody decided that they were going to give me some more information while we were talking, um, it, it ran afoul of when Gen Con had to file Chapter 11 over the Star Wars Con issue a few years ago and had to put a lot of things on pause. And when they brought it off pause, they took it down to one Gen Con because at the time there were even two, possibly three Gen Cons in the States.
0: And um, one in Barcelona, you said. One in
2: Barcelona and another one in South Africa. Wow.
0: <laughs> so, so so
3: kind of like what Readpop are, tr- are kind of trying to achieve at the moment, because yeah, one one of the things that I noticed, especially when, when Readpop kind of took over MCM, is that looking out they actually have conventions in they now have like MCM in. In India, I think they have one in Africa as well, and definitely another one in Europe. So, kind of feels like they're trying to branch out and get get that as more of a, a more recent global equivalent to uh, to GenCon.
0: Is there a Pax UK? I don't think so. There's uh, not, no. 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 I'd is would a surprise?
3: Yeah, I'd say not yet, given the fact that it's in America. There's also one in Australia um PAX PAX is, Australia there's a PAX Australia I had a, I had a good friend of mine that was over there earlier in the year but again that's that's also owned by read pop as well so they're all kind of starting to come under one umbrella so whether they choose to then maybe uniform the names or keep them separate I don't know it could be an interesting thing to see I don't I'm... I don't think a PAX would be as popular in the UK though because we have MCM we have EGX and we have like uh UK Games Expo and a few of the others coming through as well so I don't think it could have
2: not brand awareness yeah I mean hang on I was going to say something and it's completely gone
3: (laughs) come back to me
0: Liz and everyone really um, are there things looking to the future which you would like to see happen in the UK in terms of conventions and Dungeons and Dragons
1: more outside of London the,
0: yeah, if you had a wish yeah. list, you'd a big, <laughs> big genie in yeah. and-
1: Um <laughs> Yeah, as someone who lives in Hampshire and is not keen on public transport um, <laughs> and spending an hour and a half on a train, um, generally more that are in the southeast and southwest that are outside of London is always a good thing.
0: Darrell, what would you like to see happen which is not happening already uh, in terms of gaming conventions in the UK? It's
2: a tough one. There's been there's so many different takes on what makes a convention work. Um, what I'd like to see is them getting publicity for the positive things at the moment. Um, the Fortnite World Championships Made the BBC news for about three days, and yet the only time role play—in fact, I'll be more specific—the only time D and I've seen hit the BBC news in the last year is when there was an incident with a completely different game at Expo, and yet they used the D and D brand name. Yeah, I think I
1: remember name. hearing
2: about that. Yeah, you. Yeah, don't do it too much.
1: Close friend of mine, and it was um interesting.
2: Yeah, I, I I spoke to John Dodd about it the day after it happened. Yeah, interesting is putting yeah, it and that's what
0: the mainstream media decide to to cover rather than all exactly the events and games which run perfectly well. That's that's what yeah they, yeah they're for. Mitesh, what would you like to see uh, happening? Do you know what Critters um, like to see happen more, except having the cast of Critical Role?
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of kind of the big overriding things, especially after the back of uh, October MCM last year, is there, there's a huge shout for, for what they kind of coined as Criticon, or kind of a more D&D-specific-based convention, um, which I know would take a lot of time and effort, because obviously stuff like that, you'd want huge tables for people to then be able to play games. I think just more awareness of the kind of cons conventions in the UK um, and from the convention side themselves, kind of a bigger scope on kind of having ways of introducing people into tabletop gaming, whether it be Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, Cthulhu, Cyberpunk, um, which I can imagine Cyberpunk is going to get. A lot more traction in the next year, um, given that they've got a new game coming out uh, in April twenty twenty. So they've definitely and they've got,
2: got Keanu Reeves all over the place, which can't help.
3: Yeah, but. they've got Keanu Reeves. They've coming for that, so super excited for that. But just more more ways of introducing people uh, into into tabletop gaming that doesn't make it seem so daunting. Uh, I know Wizards of the Coast have their new Essentials Kit coming out, which thankfully i've had a chance to have a quick look at it, and i think it will definitely make things a lot easier but i think overall awareness is dnd's kind of this massive thing and kind of even dipping your toes into the water is daunting as hell when realistically it's just you no, know, get a few friends make up a rough story and then just go and have an adventure enjoy it like let the dice decide how things go
2: i don't know at the moment whether a good thing would be a better market penetration for the beginner box set in whatever format it is into physical bricks and mortar shops other than game shops would be an idea yeah Um, a lot of people buy online there's no two ways about it it's cheaper money is tight but just seeing it sitting on a shelf Somewhere will get people involved. At the moment, you'll see it in a specialist game shop. You've got an off chance of seeing it in a branch of Waterstones, and that's it.
3: Yeah, I think I think, I think the only Waterstones near me because I I kind of inquired if they had any when when I was in a few places, and they literally said, I think it's the only one is uh, the Waterstones just off Piccadilly Circus. As far as I am aware, is the only one that actually stocks any D D or tabletop gaming um kind of books and stuff all the others are just like no it's not popular we can order it but it will be coming pretty much from that
0: store mm-hmm. so Sorry. yeah liz you wanted to say <laughs> something
1: um i yeah i was going to agree with that um i think one thing that has helped D be quite mainstream in the u.s is the fact that you can walk into barnes and noble or places like that and find the books right there. Um, Dorking, uh, actually, the Dorking Waterstones used to stock the D&D books, but that was specifically because um, it was managed by a DD player who has since moved on.
2: You will find that a lot of the bookshops that hold it, I mean, I'm fairly sure <clears throat> the local branch used to, I'm fairly sure Milton Keynes used to, because it was because there was a board gamer or a gamer on the staff. Yeah and that makes a hell of a difference.
0: Is but, uh, there any British show where Dungeons and Dragons could be featured like it did in Stranger Things? We think we should have Dungeons and Dragons in uh, Hollyhocks or the IT <laughs> crew. Have a special I mean,
1: I British think they ha- I don't think I'd want to see the IT crowd's take on D&D. I, I think don't know, know what it would I, look I, like. I was thinking more
3: Love Love Island, they just, like, drop a load of stuff or, like, (laughs) the only way is Essex. They just, like, send them a load of D&D books and being like, hey, do this. Oh, God.
1: I'll point out, (laughs) the UK was ahead of the US in that regard because you did have Nightmare.
2: Oh, yes. In fact, it's on... (laughs) That was on last night in my local theatre and I couldn't
0: go. (laughs) There's a somewhat popular live show, Nightmare, by a a comedian. I don't know where he's touring at the moment, but... He uh, is.
2: Uh, He was in Milton Keynes yesterday.
0: He just set his tent and (laughs) called people people and you're in Nightmare
2: in Milton Keynes. (laughs) Well, yeah, it's just Milton Keynes, but... um, Yeah. (laughs) You say television. I mean uh well, not morse what was the other one taggart had an entire D based storyline years ago um so it, it does occasionally get out there
3: <laughs> i i think i think on that front it's more people just i don't think a lot like it may just be kind of the the people that i know and talk to but a lot of them now even say that they don't really watch much TV in general is a lot more yeah. kind of YouTube and social media and Twitch based stuff that they're they're watching. So I definitely think that's kind of a, a bigger area. And if they're able to kind of highlight a wider variety of things, obviously they're going to look at the big names to begin with, because that's what's going to bring people in. But I think just having that kind of awareness on, on how of getting the name out there and showing them that it's not, that daunting, I think, is definitely what's going to make the big difference and, and getting I, it into more physical stores, as Liz was saying.
1: I think even beyond being daunting to approach, one thing that, as an American, comes across as incredibly British is that you're still not embracing your nerdery. Um, like it's, yourself. <laughs> in yourself. <a>, uh, <laughs> in office environments, it's still... Not taboo, but still slightly awkward to even be the one of the team that watches all of the Marvel movies, even though they make more money than anything else out there.
3: Yeah, I've, I've, I've got a, I've got a back, Liz, on that front. In in a job that I was on, I was talking to to a couple of the people on my team about Comic Con. Uh, And one of the one of the one of the other people on my team, um, she turned around and asked what we were talking about. And when I said it, she goes, "Oh, I thought that was just a thing on The Big Bang Theory." Like (laughs) she didn't actually realise that Comic Con was real. People going, it is actually something in the UK. So yeah,
0: there's definitely that kind of. You know,
2: I've clearly been lucky.
0: I mean, there's a the yeah the thing is I think as a community, especially as a British uh, shy community of gamers, we can try try it at work a bit, uh, trying to be a bit proactive. Uh, actually, just before I lost my job, that lost, I was about to master a game of D and D for for a couple of my coworkers, who I, you know, you are the water, uh, water fountain, uh, coffee machine, and people talk about. Game of Thrones and you're like you know there's this thing where you could be a knight yourself and how uh, oh, well, about you try it and uh, I did have a few colleagues who were interested oh, by the way brilliant. there's a big untapped potential in meeting rooms in places like London they are lying empty at, in the evening amazing places to run a, a D&D yeah, game uh, it's great that's and- the thing
2: space especially in London and the southeast costs an arm and a leg <laughs>
0: but yeah you could uh, i mean you know i've put D in a distorted way in my cv you know i conduct a, a collective storytelling exercise with groups of people you know you, you can push it as <laughs> an exercise in the team building at work
3: I, that, I, I i love pushing the the D aspect and um it was actually my brother that kind of commented on this because I'm between jobs myself and talking about TVs and stuff. Um, and I've ad- I've actually put it on there on my CV and kind of covering letters. I talk about it a lot because, one, it's amazing how many people then come back to you and be like, oh, d I've always <laughs> been curious about that. And it hits that like conversation i
2: wanted to play that as a child
3: (laughs) yeah it's just like i've always been curious about it and then you start getting chatting about the effects that that kind of has on people as well like bringing people together getting them thinking more creatively i've met so many critters that suffer from kind of social anxiety and stuff as well that have actually said that you know what they were nervous as hell kind of coming to some of the meetups and stuff at MCM that we put together. But once they've slowly started talking to, to a few people, it really helped them kind of get over, n- not get over it. That's, that's a bad way of phrasing it. But you guys understand what I mean? like It, it, it yeah. gave
2: it gives us a, a neutral thing that yeah. everybody can come to.
3: Yeah. Um, which I think has been a big part. And that's why I love putting it out there. It's just like, no, I am part of this thing. Yes, it's hugely nerdy, and that's one of the reasons I love it and got into it. But this is all of the positive impact that it's having mm. outside of the game, um, which I think is amazing.
0: Well, actually, the, the next event we're organizing, and uh, I just had the confirmation recently, it should be an official Wizard of the Coast event. On October 20th, uh, here in London at Bad Moon Cafe, we're going to have a Dungeons & Dragons for mental health events. so oh, brilliant. Uh, awesome.
3: It's amazing.
0: So, yeah, this is happening, and, uh, yeah, we'll make an announcement uh, as soon as we've got everything lined up. But, uh, You've heard
1: it here can... first,
0: folks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> definitely. In, okay,
2: this has brought two things to my mind. One is a question I want to ask, but I'll do the other one first. I am seeing in the UK, and I've seen it over the years, that, D&D players or role players in general, you will find a lot of people with social anxiety issues. You will see a lot, um, especially the middle-aged and older males with depression. Is it a, something that people bring in to cope as it helps them cope? Does it attract a certain mindset? Am I alone in it? It's an yeah. incredible therapy.
1: I I play with a lot of people and I don't think a single one of them is neurotypical Hmm. in any aspect. (laughs) Um, and it's because it gives you a nice neat framework in which you can, bloody dogs, um, in which you can interact with people. Um, but you have those constrictions and you have, you know, going in exactly what's expected of you and, then you can cut loose and explore different things and it's okay because you're pretending to be someone else
2: hmm, it's not you
3: yeah I was going to say escapism kind of at its finest just being able to <laughs> to take yourself out of the situation that you're in kind of go somewhere completely different for two three four hours yeah. and then come back and be like okay this stuff is still here but I feel a lot better kind of yes approach
1: similarly here. um at the other end I've walked out of it um i've come away from sessions realizing oh that's why i have a particular hang up about that particular topic where suddenly something just sort of produces itself and i can explain a bit of my weird brain chemistry
2: Mm. Trusting your gm
0: Um, (laughs) it's, it's a safe environment for a lot of people and um uh, as much as sometimes, uh, I mean, there, there's uh, other types of games than Dungeons and Dragons in role-playing game, which are more about the creative side, and you got more freedom. At the same sa- time, I find that having a a framework which is almost mechanical actually helps you to have a, an environment in which you, you can feel comfortable and you know things, and you, then you can venture further in doing um, doing more things. And uh, yeah it's an awesome hobby cultivating a a number of great qualities. And there's lots of researchers looking into that uh, right now. We we need just to get the message Mm. to the mainstream media. So they talk about something else that uh, mazes and monsters. (laughs) (laughs) I had to try to explain that film to my children the other day. They didn't Uh, believe me. There's a Spanish equivalent. I need to make a episode of Film Study soon. If you want to hear about it already, you can check the last episode of the Rollis podcast, which was recorded in Barcelona. On that, uh, I think it's time for plugs and uh, the send-off, the, the farewell, unless one of you has got something you're you're burning. Okay. Through.
2: Can I ask a very, very quick question? Because sure. the, the, the topic is Britain compared to the US. And we've got somebody who lived in America. We've got somebody involved in the crit. Critical Role fandom. Costumes at the table. When I grew up role-playing when I was a teenager, it was always somebody would, who discovered you played D&D. Would look at, you don't dress up to play that, do you? In a very derogatory manner. And it's not even something we'd even considered. Is no. it happening now? No. Is it coming across? Or is that just the way it's being not marketed. Um,
0: I, I think French-speaking on... people is the same. That's a question I got all the time in French. Also, that's that's when you try to explain it to someone, that's what the picture they they confuse immediately. Um, these French speakers.
3: I think it comes under that kind of generalization of um, kind of that D umbrella. I think people then miscon- misconstrued it with like larping or something similar. As to like I was saying when when I tell people I go to Comic Con similarly their immediate question is oh do you dress up in costume Then i was like no i just enjoy going there to nerd out with friends and like see all of these new things so i think yeah although i know some some people like props and stuff at the table to help kind of immerse themselves i think yeah there is there is general there is that kind of big misconception of oh no if you're doing all of this role playing stuff you have to be dressing up or to be part of the part I'm just like I've played six characters in like a year and a half in DD campaigns if I bought costumes for each one of those I'd be even more out of pocket than I am at the moment trying to keep up with yeah, D&D, so.
1: yeah The most I've ever seen is really silly casual cosplay of like my character happens to wear a lot of scarves or this bit of jewellery or I think the most extravagant I ever got was um, a secret Santa amongst um, the players where I made a um, one player a paper ram skull because her character randomly was wearing one. And so she just wore it for the rest of the session.
2: <laughs> so, so it's still a case of these are the people, that, there are a few people out there and these are the ones that the media, YouTube, whatever sort of not focuses on, but they're the ones that draw the attention. So that is a pers- uh, how they are perceived outside of it all.
0: Oh, yeah, you are confused with larping also. Or... Oh, I used to yeah. laugh as, when I was younger, but th- yeah, yeah.
1: I think even when it comes to things like crit roll and such, the only time they ever dress up is the live shows.
2: Yeah, I
3: mean they they've done a similar to what kind of buying themselves gifts and stuff kind of themed on their characters. I know Talisin got like a, a raven skull, Laura bought Liam a snake, um, a belt uh, with a snake design on it. So I think it's just little things like that coming into it. But kind of, yeah, the awareness and stuff. I mean, you look at the BBC reports or the new uh, other news reports when they do focus in on conventions and Comic-Con, they're always interviewing the people in costumes rather than just other attendees that are there more to just kind of talk about the convention itself
0: well what i always tell to uh, D and role-playing game fans who complain about that about mainstream media just remember that remember that when you see something on another subject you don't know nothing about <laughs> remember it's going to be as badly explained and covered so yeah. Don't go thinking things about other people's hobby because of what you've seen on the BBC because it will be as badly explained as uh, your own is that's right. on that that's why you've got alternative media like this show <laughs> <laughs> to explain <laughs> yeah. things better, so you can share it with colleagues to explain what it is about or maybe something else which is a bit more for beginners, but uh, yeah, that was the role is present your new show about table role-playing games in Europe. Our next episode will be on Saturday, September 8th. And I'm very pleased that my next guest will be Grant Owitt, owner, uh, author of Honey Heist, which Critters will be familiar with. Jason Statham's Big Vacation, which I'm a big fan of. And not only Grant Owitt will be my guest, but Christopher Taylor as well, the other half of most of this game. Well, I don't understand why he's not mentioned more often. <laughs> so I will have Grant Horwitz and Christopher Taylor from Rowan, Rook, and Deckard. They're coming here to talk about their brand new Kickstarter campaign for Heart, which is The City Beneath, which is a sequel to Spire. So if you want for some medieval fantasy with a different twist uh heart is coming will be about dungeon crawling while spire was about dark rebellious dark elf into some kind of uh autocratic uh, story i'm not familiar they will be there and they will tell you all about this uh daryl maybe do you can you tell people where they can find you and do you have anything to plug that might be I, I
2: have nothing to plug I am a very simple person. I am on Twitter at, at Brother Baldrick, but I don't tweet much. I, I listen. I listen and I learn. And I take it from there.
0: Well, people can tweet at you and then I'm sure yeah, you... Yeah, that's you fine. Tweet fun. at me. Tweet at me and I'll see what happens. Liz, <laughs> what is uh, hot out of the press for you?
1: Um, so I've I've got a lot of things in the pipeline. Um so the most recent project I was involved in is Beth House of Familiars on DMs Guild. Um, you can find my other work there um, by searching for Liz Gist. Um, you can find me on Twitter at crit underscore Liz. Um, you can find me on Instagram at dolls and dragons, and you can see me playing in a incredibly British Monster of the Week game um, on every other Friday on um, side quest RPG at cool. 9 pm. Our next game is the 6th of September.
3: Callum, you muted. I
2: was gonna say you got your mic off. I think he wants you to talk Mitesh.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah I was I, I was saying <laughs> Where do critters can find you, Mitesh, so they can congregate around you and become this kind of... <laughs>
3: um, I mean, critters or anyone, you guys can find me at DarkLamber on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, also, DarkLamber on Twitch. Um, I stream twice a week. Hopefully in October, I'm currently in the process of putting it together. I should be doing a Twitch d and live stream, uh, charity live stream in connection with Special Effect as well, which is an amazing video games charity um otherwise online if you guys are on facebook you have the critical role fan club which is the the bigger one specifically in the uk you've got critical role uk uh, which you can find on facebook best place to find information about if we're doing meetups or if any guests or anything are coming across to the uk generally it's a fantastic community loads loads of really nice really helpful people as uh supportive people as well on there so yeah they're all the places you guys can find me. Uh, UK Chrispin. You're also... Yeah. <laughs> I Which- I gave my one... I unfortunately don't have my UK Chrispin anymore. I gave it to TJ Storm um, at the event because <laughs> uh, he'd been on the show. So I made him an honorary
0: UK Chrispin. <laughs> Little inside knowledge. Apparently, the Union Jack is misprinted. <laughs> <laughs> that- looks like it might be upside down upside yeah. down
1: uh, yeah so You're
0: this was it upside down it's fine <laughs> <laughs> but then, then it's few can anyway so uh, this was Callum uh, from the Rollers podcast you can meet me in person monthly at the London Ludricks and Dice which takes place at Bad Moon Cafe which a number of different clubs from London from Roleplay Heaven the London RPG community sometimes London Indie RPG Phoenix Games Club if you want to find players for your table or a table to join that's where you go there's are there are a few games but it's mainly about having a drink soft or none uh together meet each other and join each other's games. so that's the london the drinks and dice there's my show the roll podcast which you can find anywhere uh the latest one is about a club in barcelona called sense Niggerat. uh the previous one was about critters coming here to london at the mcm comic con and yeah that's it uh the RPG Academy and the Release Podcast, we both do it out of our passion for the hobby, but we do have expense. So please consider, if you like this content, if you like our events, like Acadicon or like the Drinks and Dice or incoming uh, D&D uh, for mental health, please, please uh, go to our Patreon or leave reviews and give the thumbs up on YouTube and all these sort of things and we will be very, very thankful, thankful, and it will really encourage us to do more of these. I'm going to leave you. It's time for my son's <laughs> dinner. I'm I'm doing it all BBC World style here. If you <laughs> just Google toddler BBC World. You you out for a good time on YouTube. Thank you very much, my lovely guests, and uh, yeah, see you again on Saturday, September eighth, for Heart with Grant Owit and Christopher Taylor. Thank you. Good night. Thanks. See ya. I hope you have enjoyed this first episode of the Rollist Present. As a reminder, if you did not happen to read the recent post on the website of the Rollist podcast, the Rollist Present will have two sides. First, it will be a monthly show stream on Twitch and focus on the RPG scene in London, the United Kingdom, and Europe. Second, and that's where it gets interesting, It will be a series of live events driven by a same spirit of community within the hobby. The very first of these will be two panels at the Rollis Presents Dungeons & Dragons for Mental Health. It will take place in London at Bad Moon Café on October 20th. Please find a link to the Facebook event in the description of this episode. This fundraising for the mental health charity Mind is jointly organized by the Rollis Podcast and the following all-star team. First, it is sponsored by the Roleplay Heaven. The London RPG community will lead the organization of Dungeons & Dragons play sessions in the morning. And finally, World Envy will be there to celebrate their anniversary. The event will take place all day with the following activities. There will be fundraising all day with different contests. From 10am to 1pm, there will be organized D&D tables. Please keep an eye on our website and the Facebook event to keep track of opportunities to book your seat at one of these tables. From 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., there will be the two D Present panels, dedicated first to mental health as part of RPG clubs and live events, and second, mental health as part of online role-playing communities. And finally, at 4 p.m., we will have a social gathering, which will be a celebration of World Danville's anniversary. I am very proud to organize this event and I look forward to meeting a lot of you there.